Natalie and I, we, uh, we, it was a beautiful day, and so we, we decided we would take our kids out of school for the day and go, go out to Nikiska and go skiing. And uh, we, we try to get out there fairly regularly, but uh, on this particular day, the sky was clear, the, the snow was fresh, and we were all really eager to, to spend a day skiing together. One of the things I love about skiing, though, is the views, obviously. They, when, you, you can steal, when I can steal away moments just to look around and just see just the, the beauty that is the Canadian Rockies. One of the other things I enjoy about downhill skiing, though, is the view from the ski lifts, where the extra height just adds that much different perspective than just simply being on the ground, where you can suddenly see a much broader perspective than whatever is directly in front of you as you travel down the ski hill. Although you miss some of the details when you're in the ski lift, you miss some of the details of the snow and the mountain grooves, what you are able to see are different things, like, like you're able to see tree lines, cut lines in the distance. You're able to see animal paths from different animals that have worked their way through the snow. You can watch people skiing, or my personal favorite, you can watch people wiping out. There's patches of open landscapes. You can see rivers, and you can see lakes in the distance. You can, in the distance, you can see cloud formations. And then you can see flocks of birds in different spots that you wouldn't normally be able to see because the trees are blocking them. Faith in Jesus is a little bit like a day on a ski hill where our perspective might change depending on where we are on the hill, where who is with us, and what is happening around us. When it comes to the shield of faith, the perspective we have is critical as well. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that we live by faith and not by sight. I think the best place to discover how to live by faith, though, is to go back to where before life even existed, Genesis 1. This morning, though, as I read a portion of Scripture from Genesis 1, I'd like to invite you to listen to it maybe in, a, in an alternative perspective for many, of us, for many of us on how we read this passage. This, this past week, as I was reflecting on this particular passage of Scripture, I, 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 and I was typing out this sermon, I was actually almost in tears as I was, trying to, as I was visualizing the, the, the imagery that exists in this first chapter of the Bible. This morning, though, instead, maybe try to imagine this morning, that you are hearing these words for the very first time. Try to picture in your mind what the reality of what this passage would have looked like or the experience of it. Experience it as, as vividly as, as maybe a child might experience being lifted up on a ski lift for the very first time. Consider the, the excitement and the nervousness and the uncertainty of, of what they were about to experience. Maybe as you were younger, as you, as you watch this, this chair and a conveyor belt comes along and, and scoops you up and you wonder, how does this all work? How does it hold everyone's weight? How is it going to hold me? Where does this thing take me? This morning, return to your childhood for a moment. And remember the excitement of a child as the chairlift scoops you up and the exhilaration you, fit, you feel as your feet lift off the ground and, and you slowly begin to get farther and farther from the ground and wondering, what's happening? 
And as the scenery changes instantaneously, and within seconds you can look back and you can see where you once were, but the perspective is entirely different. This morning, reimagine the wonder as a child experiences these things for the first time. This morning, let's go back to the beginning together and look at the creation account with the eyes of a child looking at it with the eyes of wonder and anticipation and fear and excitement and terror that I think these first two verses are intended to communicate. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Consider the uncertainty and terror of those words. There was nothing, there was emptiness. The Hebrew word here in this passage uses water as a way to symbolize the chaos and disorder and terror that existed in this nothingness. Imagine being on that ski hill, on that ski lift, as it takes you up for the very first time. And you get higher and higher. And then you look down, and there's nothing. Just a vast chasm of darkness. What would your reaction be if you were on that ski lift and there was empty darkness below as you looked down and what, where, how is this possible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And there, in the midst of the nothingness, in the midst of the empty, hovering over it, there was God. All present, in the midst of the chaos, somehow in the midst of the nothingness, there is God, still present, hovering. Now this hovering is is an intentional, an active act of being present, preparing, waiting until the right moment until God is ready to speak life into being. Earlier this week, I, I, as I was reflecting on this, uh, this idea of God's hovering presence over, over myself and, and, and over Calgary and Canada and our world and, and over this concept of God's hovering presence over the emptiness of nothing, I went for a walk. It's one of the few days that, that was nice last week, and, and it was around, right, right around 6 o'clock, so it was just getting dark. And I, as I was considering this hovering concept. Out of nowhere, about two or three hundred Canadian geese flew over my head. You could hear their wings flap. And they were all moving in unison in that familiar V formation. And then as I looked up at this idea of the hovering and I looked at these, these geese flying overhead, my eyes went beyond the geese and I saw an airplane flying overhead. And then beyond the airplane, I saw the moon and the stars began to occur to me that 
Things in the sky are there for a reason, aren't they? But there's very few things in the sky that are there by accident. That they're there with intention, that they're there with purpose. Whether it's a geese or airplane or the moon and the stars or a ski lift, most things in the sky have a reason they are there. The same is true here for the Spirit of God as it hovered over the nothingness until God spoke something out of nothing and the heavens and the earth were created. And then life was born and out of nothing God created everything you and I know today. The power and authority was enough to create you and I and breathe life into us. The time would come when God was no longer looking down, hovering. Instead, he would be participating with everything that he had just spoken into existence. Instead of hovering above the earth, God joins his greatest creation and walks side by side with them, with Adam and Eve. Imagine that picture, that idea of... of, the Heavenly Father, Jesus, God, who's, who came and walked beside Adam and Eve and they laughed together and they spent time together and they played together and, and like a loving father might play with his kids, delighting in their presence and, and just offering his, his, his full character of who he is and, kind and kindness and gentleness and love. God walking, along, walking alongside humanity, enjoying the wonder of everything that, that he had just created. As Adam and Eve ran through the fields and ran through the forests, swimming in the river and skipping rocks with God, staring at the, at the sky that was above them, enjoying the animals as they, as they grazed unthreatened in the fields beside them. And there was peace and fellowship the way that it was designed to be, enjoying the very purpose that we were created for, to enjoy being with God, to enjoy intimacy with our Creator, to enjoy the fullness of the relationship you and I were designed to experience. God no longer hovering over the earth, but instead moving and dwelling with His creation, dwelling on earth. It's in this creation account that we see the story of our relationship with, of story of our relationship with God begin as God breathes life into humanity. And God walks alongside Adam and Eve like a parent comes alongside a child learning how to ski down a hill. Okay, just carve left here. Watch out for that obstacle. Okay, straighten out the skis now. You're ready to go. Let's go. Like a parent excited to see their child discover the world around them. But as we know, that as children discover the world, the excitement and wonder around them isn't all just beauty and and excitement, is it? There's temptation as well. Like anything, it comes with challenges and ups and downs, and falling isn't an uncommon occurrence, whether it's skiing or walking or anything else for that matter. And unfortunately, the chaos of this world was too irresistible for man. The disorder was too alluring and seductive. Ultimately, the presence of God wasn't enough for them. So Adam and Eve, instead, they decide that they're going to take a different route than the one God invited them to follow on the the ski hill of life. I remember the first time that I went skiing. I was about 12 years old, and uh, growing up in Red Deer, uh, there's a ski hill just east of Red Deer called Canyon Ski Hill. 
And as you would imagine, it's probably not a big ski hill, but it was big for me because it was the first time that I ever tried it. And it's, it's, it's in this canyon that's, that's divided by the Red Deer River. And, uh, and so on this particular day, I, I, I had about one or two hours of, of, of uh, ski school where I was on, a, on the bunny hill. And I really, I had no idea what I was doing, and, and, but I was kind of left to my own at this point and left to my own devices. And so I said, I'll just follow along with my friends. Now, I had no idea, as I said, I have no idea what I was doing, but one of the things I really should have learned was the, what the different symbols meant on the runs. I noticed really quickly that there was like green circles and there was like blue squares and there was black triangles and, or black diamonds and, and I had no idea what some of those things meant, but I, I just figured, you know, there's maybe decoration, I don't really know and, and, and for those of you that don't know, the green are the easiest runs, those are the runs I should have stayed on. The next, those are kind of the entry level, the next is the blue squares and then the next is black diamond and beyond that is, requires a much higher level of technical skill level than I have. Not wanting to look like a dummy, though, and, and feel left out from the rest of my friends, I just followed right along. They clearly had a better understanding of the ski hill and what those, all those signs meant, because as soon as, I, as soon as they disappeared and went off this, basically this cliff, uh, I realized very quickly that I was on one of the, the hardest hills on the course, and it was actually a double black diamond. Now, I, as I said, I'd never skied before, and so suddenly I was now faced with moguls and jumps and people were whizzing by me and just flying by me. I'd travel about five feet and fall and my skis would go in different directions and I'd have to track them down and collect them and strap them back on and I'd ski another five feet and crash and my skis would go disappear again and I'd have to track them down again. I so wish I had taken a different route. But there I was trapped on the side of this hill, struggling for nearly two hours. People flying by me, enjoying themselves, laughing and having a great time. Me, angry, embarrassed, annoyed, jealous. Just like Adam and Eve, I had taken the wrong route. And now I was facing the consequences of my decision. God, though, Seeing Adam and Eve and their mistakes knows that the path that they're on isn't a good one. Knowing it's full of pain and difficulty and chaos, God honors their decision to ski the hill on their own without God. That's what love does, isn't it? As difficult as it is, the hard part about love is giving people freedom to make choices. Sometimes my kids don't make the choices that I'd hoped for. And we can see throughout the Bible that God's people are actually no different. And for hundreds of years, we see this commitment of God to dwell with his creation in spite of their brokenness, in spite of the re their consistent rejection of him, as they consistently reject the path that God had laid out for them. God continues, though, to walk with them, guide them, protect them, shielding them from themselves from discouragement or shielding, shielding them from their enemies, shielding them from other obstacles that might come their way strengthening them in those moments of weakness, lifting them up in those moments of helplessness, urging them to keep moving forward as God urged them into the purpose that he had created them for. Like a parent, giving their children freedom and space to learn from their own mistakes. Like a parent helping their newborn to walk, sometimes 
kids fall from time to time. But also like a loving parent, always ready to protect and guide and lead and support. That's also an application of love. Give them the freedom to make their own decisions, but also prepared and available to pick them up when they fall. When I was in grade five, uh, it was my first year at a brand new school, and, and, uh, and I was the first week of being at this new school. And I really had no interest in going to school this week. I was already terrified of all the changes, and, and, uh, and, I, tr- and I made every excuse I could to not go to school this week. And eventually my dad said, no, Ryan, you've you got to go to school. Well, as you can imagine, that was not the response that I wanted to hear, so out of anger and frustration, I figured, you know what, I'll try living on my own. So I packed up my suitcase and I decided I'm running away. Packed up this big old duffel bag and decided I'm going to try living somewhere else. Now, admittedly, it was a short-sighted plan. I had nowhere to go. But I started walking and angry and dragging my luggage down the street and, and, and occasionally kind of just muttering under my breath about how unfair my parents were and, and how they made me go to school and I didn't want to go and, and just frustrated and, and upset with them. And, and, and then I looked back. There was my dad, but a block away, just following quietly behind me, just keeping an eye out for me, making sure that I didn't get myself into too much trouble, making sure that I was safe. Finally, when enough time had passed for me to cool down and my dad caught up to me and said, why don't we walk for a little bit? Can I carry that bag for you? It looks heavy. That's the story of Jesus and God's faithfulness, isn't it? Who in the midst of our rejection of him, in the midst of the chaos that you and I have created, in the midst of the temptations of this world and the the attacks that Satan points and gives, directs at us, in the midst of carrying all the heaviness of our decisions and the weight of our sin choices, Jesus says, why don't we walk together for a bit? Why don't I carry some of that for you instead? In fact, I'll actually carry all of it for you. Now, admittedly, this is where the the illustration falls a little short because when it comes to our sin choices, God says we can't undo those things by ourselves. The consequence for our sin choices is too big for you and I to correct. Instead, Jesus says, I'll carry the weight of that luggage for you. It's too much for you to, to carry, but I love you enough to carry it for you anyways. Scripture tells us that the weight of, that sin, of our sin choices will actually crush us to death. But that Jesus takes it on himself and carries that weight for us on the cross so that the weight of our sin choices can be forgiven. And it's in this heart of a loving father that God reveals his faithfulness to his creation by sending his own son to ensure that anyone can have the same intimacy that Adam and Eve enjoyed in the creation account. So that we can actually experience the type of peace that he has to offer in our lives. Where in the midst of our unfaithfulness to God, in the midst of our rejection, God says, I'm I'm still here. I'm still faithful. For some of us, maybe this morning, we need to be reminded of that. Maybe for some of us, it feels like God is walking at a distance. And you need to be reminded that he's, he's right there, just keeping an eye out for us, 
honoring your decision to walk away from him, but giving you enough space. But he's also ready whenever you are to invite him to walk together when, when you're ready. He's ready for you to put your faith in him. Jesus says, why don't we return to the way that things were supposed to be, the way things were in the beginning in the garden when I, when I created it for, for you. Life isn't supposed to be this formless and empty void. It's meant to be filled with hope and love and purpose. God has constantly been efforting to return us to the intimacy that existed with him at the beginning in the garden, before the chaos from sin entered our reality. Now from the beginning, we were designed for fellowship with God and live within his purpose. We weren't meant to ski, hill, ski the, hill, the ski hill of life by ourselves. There's just too much chaos. There's too much uncertainty. uncertainty. Instead, we're invited to acknowledge the presence of Jesus with us. That his hovering presence is actually now a dwelling presence. That God didn't stay up on this, this eternal ski lift at a distance hovering above us. Instead, he chose to be with us. He chose to be in relationship with us and journey with us through life. And we see this thread of God's faithfulness weaved throughout history. This constant evidence of God's faithfulness in the lives of his people, Adam and Eve, Abraham, the Exodus, the judges, the kings, the exiles, and now January 31st, 2021. Wars, pandemics, stock market crashes. God's faithfulness is weaved throughout all of this. This morning as we conclude our series on the shield of faith, let me ask these questions. What if the shield of faith that Paul invites us to pick up was influenced by God's faithfulness in our lives? What if the shield of faith that Paul invites us to pick up wasn't just a momentary thing, but instead it was actually an affirmation of the evidence that God has been with us since Genesis 1-1? As the church, both Thornhill Baptist Church and the global church, we are the physical expression of that hope that we have in Jesus because of that faithfulness. We are the physical expression that there is an alternative to crashing our way down the hill like I did on that first day. Instead, we can actually put our faith in Jesus. Paul says in Romans 8, 24, 25, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. <clears throat> although we, we may not ever visibly see Jesus or physically touch Jesus or audibly hear Jesus, we can examine the evidence that, we, that has existed around us since the beginning of creation, since the world was formless and void. Since the emptiness of the world around us, God has revealed himself and proved over and over and over again to be unchanging, to be consistent, to be intentional, to be deliberate with his pursuit of being present with you and I. Let me say that again. That we may never visibly see Jesus. We may never physically touch him or even audibly hear Jesus. But we can examine the evidence that has existed since the beginning since the world was formless and void, since the emptiness of this world around us, 
God has been revealing himself and proving himself over and over and over again to be unchanging, to be consistent, to be intentional, to be deliberate with his pursuit of being, with, with his pursuit of being present with us. And we see it throughout Scripture, culminating with Jesus on the cross. God has constantly sought after you and I. He has not given up on us. No matter how frequently we might fall, no matter how many times we might get discouraged, no matter how many times we think we're not worthy, no matter how many times we've turned our back on Him, God is there patiently waiting for us to put our faith back in Him, wanting to restore the relationship that we were designed to have. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18, says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God is actually using us today, the church, to reveal his faithfulness. This morning, we started by reflecting on Genesis 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. John 1.1 also says, in the beginning. This time it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A couple verses later, John 1. And we have seen His Word, the Word that was at the beginning. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. God's faithfulness throughout history shows us that he is not distant and aloof, but that he is actively engaged in our lives, that he he is present, that, that from the beginning God was committed to reveal himself to his creation. And it's through Jesus that we see that God has maintained his faithfulness to his promises and revealed his glory. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Maybe today, or maybe this, this week, you feel like maybe life has been just one crash after another, and, and that, that illustration of me falling down the hill has been very relatable. And you're just trying just to get through today. You're just trying to get through this week or this season. Maybe right now you just need Jesus to come alongside of you just to help you, help you down the hill. And yet maybe there's others where you just feel like you've just taken your own path and you've been running away and, 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 and you've been ignoring God's invitation to follow him. Maybe you've been going through motions and you just, you've been playing the game. You've been faking it until you try to make it. Maybe this morning is an opportunity for us as his church to embrace the deliberate nature of God as he created you and I to know him personally, to know him intimately, to pick up that shield of faith and trust in the faithfulness of God today, to actually begin to walk with him the way we were designed to. That's you this morning. I want to just encourage you to to pray after this prayer after me. There's, There's nothing magical about these words. It's just an invitation for you to to maybe get back on the right, the right path with Jesus. If that's you, and you desire that, let's, let's pray together. God, I need you in my life. 
This morning I've been reminded of your constant faithfulness. You've been there from the beginning. And I've rejected you over and over and over again. I can't carry the weight of my choices any longer. And I know you died for them. And I choose to receive your grace and ask for your forgiveness. This morning, I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Amen. This morning, we're going to close with one last song. Uh, and I also just want to let you know that for those of you that are online, uh, we are still planning on meeting with Zoom. You may have to go back into previous emails to, to get uh, the link because I didn't send this week. But uh, we are still planning to meet online in Zoom after service as well. We'll have a group downstairs if anyone's interested in that as well. But uh, let the worship team take over here.